Happy New Year, everybody. Is it? No. I know. This is the second time we've done this bloody episode. <laughs> Isn't it, Sanya? It is. A wee, uh, we, it was a long episode as well. It was a long and well, a really... It wasn't actually that long. It was an hour and 15 minutes. It was a good episode as well. The original version of it, my mic was muted for some reason. Uh, and... And we'd even tested it before we started. Don't know what happened. Somehow it managed to get switched off from listening back to the test. Yeah. In the two minutes from listening back to the test to re-recording, restarting recording. Something went wrong. Let's hope Um, it's on this time. But if you are a patron, patron, a patron Patron. of this podcast, you can hear the original version uh, as a bonus episode. Which will probably be better than this one, despite the fact that you can only hear me through Sanya's mic. So uh, you're in the distance. But we're going to try. We're going to try to give this episode the same spontaneity well, as the I original. Well, I mean, on, on the plus side, my memory, my short-term memory, is that right? No, long-term's not that good either. My memory's not that great, so it might all be like new information to mm. me, and then I can be spontaneous. On the minus side, maybe it won't be very sp- spontaneous and I'll just sit here listening to you. <laughs> Listen, I've got something to tell you that Uh-oh. I did yesterday. Oh, no. Uh, I that's, messed never up. A good, that's never a good start. Well, I noticed on um, Facebook that Marillion, before we get into this episode, by the way, this is, I, I'm saying this. <laughs> this is all as new, you, this is you all new information. This is new information. Uh, yeah, I saw Marillion have started doing their interviews for an hour before it's dark. So I dropped Lucy a line and said, can, oh, can we get on the list? Oh, well, that's excellent. Ax- what? That's excellent. Excellent Rose. I was going to say that's <laughs> exciting, but... Well, it only is if she says yes. Yeah, they might uh, be like, because they say they're busy. She's, she's seen the message, but she hasn't replied. Well, she probably needs to ask them. What do you mean ask it's them? It's their decision if they want to come on the podcast. Isn't it? Well, I don't know. I think if she says do this thing, no, they they are independent agents. They can say yes or no. She can say, "Oh, this podcast invited you," and then they can be like, "Oh no, we listened to that podcast," and they were slagging they've off Marillion dot com. They've not listened to this podcast. No one in Marillion, we know Lucy has. No one in Marillion has listened to this podcast. You don't know that for sure. No one has. They haven't. And it's best that they never do. <laughs> <laughs> but talking of people who should never listen to this podcast, let's talk fish. Oh, yeah. He definitely shouldn't listen to this podcast, but particularly this podcast. Unless we record it in a very different way from our first attempt at recording it. Okay. You're preempting where we're going. So here's what happened, right? Pre, pre-Christmas, we put out an episode in which... We were less than enthusiastic about his global broadcast event. Still can't say it you, without... Yeah. Well, okay, try and say global broadcast event without laughing. Global broadcast event. I can't. Oh, you, no, so, you nearly did it. Nearly did it. Nearly did it. Um, it wasn't that I thought it was bad. I just have gone off fish. It's simple as that. I've wow, just gone off that's it. that's a <laughs> really full-on statement. Yes. Well... You've actually... Like, to say... Can you see that? It's quite a big jump from I wasn't that keen on this one gig that he did. But uh, I thought it was fine what he did. I've gone off fish. 
That's huge. He's he was like your childhood or adolescent adolescent hero. Can you say that? Yeah, why can't you say say what you like? So, that sounds like he's the adolescent. You can't say anything these days. <laughs> you can't that's the trouble, you can't say anything these days. Nah. Uh, I don't know what that was or where that came from. Um that I'm waking up now, I'm getting into oh, it. Oh, okay, now I can start bantering with yeah, you. Yeah, now you can start bantering. I'm starting I'm to up. calm down now. Oh what? You're all fired up and feisty off mic. Anyway, so we made some comments on that episode and I had a few comments back saying that they uh, from a couple of people saying they were surprised by my response to it Mm. and it got me thinking and now I know we've promised you the marbles episodes Uh, they're going to be a way off yet because I wanted to address this I went down a bit of a rabbit hole you did Um, yeah yeah, you really fell down a rabbit hole well it got me thinking and that's yeah you know, and through doing this episode once already, I, I I think I'm I'm sort of ready to admit to myself that I'm not really a fan of Fish Solo. Wow. And so... I mean, I, how it all started was with the people saying they were surprised at your opinion of the global broadcast. And then you sort of saying one morning, we were talking and you were saying... Oh, you know, even though you had you hit a speed bump with Marillion during the castle years, you haven't ever looked into that. You were going on a parallel journey with Fish yes. at the time because they both started at sort of there was a a fork in the road when they split, yeah. and you followed both of them. Yes, and we've only taken one road so far. But at the same time, something was happening in Fisher's career and you were travelling along with him. And, and only now you've realised that it was kind of not so much a speed bump like with Marillion where it was a bit of a bump during the castle era and then you came back. Well, I've been realising... It's been a slow realisation because it's just not wanting to say those words out loud, I suppose. Right. That... I'm not a fan. And I guess I hesitated doing that because I was such a fan. Yeah. And I wanted to continue supporting him. Uh, and as we'll discover going through this, because we're going to basically... We're going to find out why. We're going to find happened. out why and at the point at which my love <laughs> kind of evaporated. Part of me is a bit paranoid. Like, I hope it wasn't my influence on you because when we no because when we met you were still you tried to introduce me to both fish and marillion and you would play fish music in the car hang on let's let me just explain my experience of it so you'd play fish music in the car it was like yeah that's okay did i play you fish music or fish era marillion no you would play like feast of consequences and stuff no yeah you would yeah but that's because it was a new album that only came out that came out long after you and i got together what well, you were definitely playing other did stuff. I put, Not did, as much as Marillion. Did I put any fish on the mix CD that I made for you? No, you didn't. Yeah, there you go. You what didn't. does that tell you? But I just, I just want to go through the story at least of you when, you, well, we were together. So you'd play both of them in the car, probably much, much more Marillion. But there was certainly 
chunks of fish era in there as well. Not fish era, fish solo. And we went to a few fish live gigs, but it got to a point where I didn't want to go anymore. And you started to not want to go anymore either. And then it's like, is he not going just because I don't want to go? Look, I would have gone. I mean, I didn't go to that many. I've been to like three. Like if you tell me Fish is playing solo inside, I always feel like, that's fine. You can go. (laughs) I don't feel drawn to go along to it. And I don't either. Whereas with Marillion, it's different. I do want to go and see Marillion live. I don't anymore. The last three... So it wasn't because I didn't want to go? No, the last three tours, we haven't gone. I even had tickets for... I didn't for the the most recent tour that the Global Broadcast event was taken from. Uh, But I did have tickets for the previous two tours and we didn't go. And I've never done that before. I know one of them was because you had a bad back. Was it? Yeah. I would have still gone if it was Marillion. Oh, really? Yeah. It's Look, but I'm going to get to that. Okay. Because let's go back to the beginning. Let's let's, let's let's start at the... Start at the beginning... I know we've we've covered Vigil to a certain degree and we covered his final album, Welsh Schmertz. And I've got to say, both those bookends I really love. I think yeah, they're both I, strong. I quite enjoyed Vigil and Welsh Schmertz. I've only listened to once, but it was all right. You didn't want to go and listen to any other albums for the purposes of this exercise, did you? No, and I haven't listened to Welsh Schmertz again. No. And that feels... I feel a bit bad saying that because that makes it seem like it's not a good album. Whereas I can see the I can see the good in it. I can see the positives in it. Mm. It just it's not something that I feel I'd like to put that much time to listening. But what to I wanted to do with this is that in the same way that during the nineties, my relationship with Meridian hit a speed bump and it wasn't just about the music it was about things that were being said in the press it was concerts I wanted to sort of take a holistic view of of Fish as a solo artist and kind of go well you know taking everything because you're are you are you saying that perhaps things that were going on outside of the music may have been influencing you subconsciously yeah did you admit it to yourself at the time well, don't forget, don't forget I had, at least from the point of view of journalist interview subject, I had a bit of a relationship with Fish during the 90s because I regularly interviewed him. Mm. Um, so I had first-hand contact with him and I met him once, admittedly very drunk, but I did meet him. Uh, but we did talk relatively regularly on the phone. It was weird. It was any time, you know, wow. uh, sometimes... Yeah, if you asked Fish, he would always be up for an interview. Right. Uh, so would you say you've so, spoken to him more than you've spoken to Marillion, the members of Marillion? Well, I've only ever... Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah absolutely. In the 90s, yeah, we had each other's phone numbers. Wow. Uh, um, yeah, a bit weird, but but it all goes into it. Yeah. Of where I ended up on my journey with Fish. Um, but let's go back to the beginning. So Marillion yes. split. And this is tell you where I'm at, or was at. I joined the company Fish's Fan Club. I didn't join the web. So mm. that's... Do you remember your thinking at the time, your reasoning? Not really. I was trying to think about this. Uh, I was trying to remember. I don't know. I was more of a, I was a fan of Fish then as a person. He was my idol. Mm. Um, you know, back then, Marillion, 
you know, Steve Hogarth was a it was a sort of unknown quantity, and Marillion themselves were, you know, relatively anonymous guys. Yeah, they stepped yeah, to the floor I guess, a bit more when Fish left. Yeah, I guess it was Fish that was doing most of the interviews, or most of the talking in the interviews. Plus so you knew more about him. The yeah. lyrics were personal. And I think I made the mistake, even though I knew Marillion made the music mm. and wrote the music, I made the mistake that the wider populace did of, of thinking Fish was Marillion. Yeah. And I think most people thought, that it was Marillion that were going to struggle, not Fish. Mm. And I think it's only after you see the results of the split in the music. Yeah. See, hear the results of the split in the music that you realise how much of an influence the musicians in Marillion had. Yes. Does that make sense? Yes, it yes. does. Yes, it does. Yeah, you realise Marillion are, you know, yes, of course, age now as well. But Marillion, the core, are those four guys mm. that were in Marillion in 1988 when Fish left. So I joined the company. I got a a, a really sweet three-page handwritten letter from Fish's mum. <laughs> oh, why are you really... laughing at that? Well, why are you laughing? My childhood idol. I didn't expect to get back a three-page handwritten letter. What did it say? I can't even remember. Was it personal to you or was it photocopied yeah, no, for no, no, everyone? No, 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 handwritten. How does she have personal the time to me. write everyone letters? I don't know. She's I, a supportive mum. She she's a really supportive mum. That was really sweet. Um, Aw, she sounds lovely. Yeah, and I said, as I said for a long time, I, you know, I certainly said back then, Fish Live was leagues ahead of where Meridian were at in those right. early tours. Yeah, you know? I mean, he had such a presence and an energy yeah. and a magnetism on stage. Yes. Yeah. Um, I can see why you'd be drawn to his live gigs. And I guess Meridian was still finding their feet in the early days. Well, they were. In the live I, shows, at least. I always sort of said that on record, Meridian's highs were higher, but their lows were lower, whereas Fish was more consistent, but didn't have as many high highs or low lows. Right. You know, certainly in the vigil season's end era now i don't um you know on the one hand i kind of go well i don't want (sighs) to compare like for like and kind of you know kind of go well in 1989 stroke 90 the two albums that were going head to head with season's end yeah vigil but that's exactly what happened and you know as meridian fans we all did it of course the entire world compared those two albums and to a degree their careers will always be compared to one another so there will be a degree of this because uh, with me doing that with this because I want to explore those two parallel journeys, you know, yeah, kind it, of from the same starting point. Yes. You know, Marillion and Fish started out in the same band and then it fractured and then they, they went off in two different directions, but it was parallel. And I guess you want to try and understand why with Marillion, yes, you, you may have hit a small speed bump during the 90s, but after that speed bump, your love for them has grown. Yeah, massively. Yeah. And whereas on the fish side of the tracks, it's been a, a, a is it fair to say a, a slightly declining slope? Yeah, it's been more. There've been there've been upticks. Upticks. But I would have said generally, if you drew a, a graph, yeah, it's generally been a downward. Yeah, slope. maybe not a steep downhill, no. but a. 
was a slight with, angle was with Marillion when we got to dot com because of things H was saying in the press and mm. you know them running shy of the prog label all of that plus the the, the album dot com you sort of see you know there's a huge peak around Brave and Afraid of Sunlight mm. then it drops a bit with this strange engine drops a little bit further with Radiation an album that I admit now that I, I love more yeah but then it just plummets off a cliff with dot com and then it starts climbing and then we yeah. but weirdly as we were saying in our last episode when we heard the dot com songs played by h at h natural over christmas yeah. they were great yeah so okay. look let's let's talk vigil in the wilderness and mirrors All right. um so co-written with mickey simmons keyboard player got to number five in the charts produced by a guy called john kelly um had a whole host of guest musicians on there drawn from all over the place I mean, the core was Mickey Simmons, but also Frank Usher, who Fish had rescued from obscurity because they'd been in a band together back in Fish's pre-Marillion days. It had been preceded by the single State of Mind, uh, which I still think is one of the great... Good song. It's a great song. Yeah, and good song. In terms of sort of starting strong, mm. that at the time versus Hooks in You, as much as I quite like Hooks in You now in a sort of cheesy, unironic way, the two side by side, it was like, well, that's a better song, isn't it? State of Mind is right. a way better song. Yeah. And I, yeah, I'd have to agree with you. And I think the whole album was a really strong start for his solo career. It was. It was, you know, I remember reviews at the time uh, comparing it to sort of Van Morrison. And it was a real statement of intent. He's since gone on record and sort of said, oh, there was a bit of a hangover from the Marillion days in terms of, uh, you know, in terms of the sound. I mean, yes, I can hear that, but what I see is it, it is more, it's a kind of a, I suppose it's not progginess because it's not a very proggy album mm. at all. Uh, it's just strong, confident, knows what it wants to be album. Vigil in the Wilderness of Mirrors, with a great cover by uh, Mark Wilkinson, which I'm sure you hate. I can't remember can't it. Don't worry looking it up now. Um, it's, it's not the one with the mountain. Yeah. And then on top of the pi- mountain Piles is... of shit. <laughs> Fishy's face on a load of TVs, uh, which That's make up it. the top. But the, the wider image is like this wasteland. Yeah. And, you know, he... That uh, wasn't a bad cover. He got into trouble because he, there was um, John Arneson and Mark Kelly on the cover with knives climbing up the hill to stab fish in the back. Oh, my goodness. Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he had to cover those faces up in the end. Oh, my goodness. And, of course, the album had the song um, The Company, which was a none too veiled dig at his former bandmates. Oh, um, dear. Unfortunately, Fish hit, hit uh, a pothole immediately in that the record company felt like we all did, that Fish uh, needed no introduction, whereas Marillion with a new lead singer did. So they chose to put Season's End out before Fish's album, despite the fact Fish's album was recorded first. And right, completed and first. that didn't go down well with Fish. No, he wasn't happy, so he had to sit on it. So he went out on tour. Right. Um, oh, when he was on tour, was he playing songs from the new album, he or did, was yeah. he held holding them back? No, no, he 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 played songs on. It was the State of Mind tour to sort of promote right. the single. Okay, but he played so it was a, a lot of Marillion as well. Were you on? Did you go on the yeah, tour? Yeah, of course so I did. you you were there hearing the new material. Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah, and he also played Internal Exile, which he admitted then was being held held over for the second album because it didn't. He felt it didn't fit. 
right. um, Vigil in the Wilderness of Mirrors, even though it was written. Mm. So we got on that first to a Punch and Judy, script for Just This Tear, Warm Wet Circles, Slange, uh, Fugazi, Katie Lavender, Heart of Lothian, um, uh, and Internal Exile to finish um, in a kind of Market Square Heroesy sort of way. Mm. Um, and it was a good tour, really good. I remember seeing it. It was really punchy. I, you could sort of tell that he'd, whether it was the band or whether that was what Fish wanted to do, it sort of had a bit of a rockier edge right. to what he was doing. Yes. And again, I think I've said this to you before, it's, I didn't even go and see Marillion on their Season's End tour. Oh, that's just crazy to think. Even though I love Season's End as an that album. That is crazy to think. Yeah. Were you aware? Okay, so I remember back when we were doing our podcast on Season's End and listening to the music after having listened to Clutching at Straws, there was a real sense of lightness and freedom to the sound. Did you have the same kind of feeling from Fisher's first solo album or, or his tour? Did he seem Ooh. different on stage alone? Or um, not alone, but... Away from Marillion. He seemed to be having fun. Um, I mean, it's, bear in mind, this is a long time ago. This is 30-odd years ago. Uh, I can remember him um, threatening to pour a drink on someone in the front row for wearing a Season's End T-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he was joking. Right. You know? <laughs> or was um, he? Yeah, or was he? He was just fish. Being the fish I'd sort of known. Right. Um, so you couldn't really tell a difference. No, the band felt different. As I say, rockier sort of energy to them. But but him, yeah. I mean, maybe the stories between the songs rambled on a little bit longer. Right. <laughs> you know, no one telling him to get on with it. Yeah. But, okay. but good tour and a, a great album. I mean, that in itself says a lot. Because I suppose if you can hear a difference in Marillion's energy, but you can't really with him, that might sort of show that he was the stronger personality. Well, he was. In, when he was together with the Marillion band members and maybe was not cramping their style, but maybe overshadowing them a bit. Oh, so you take him out of that situation, he stays the same, but they feel a bit like a weight's lifted. Perhaps yeah. I'm really reading into it and it could be completely inaccurate. I think you're right because, I mean, you know, in my work environment, I've been in rooms with big personalities. Yeah. Uh, and they dominate. They dominate. And sometimes when they leave the room, everyone's like, Whew. okay, and then people that have been quiet and squashed by those big personalities will start speaking up and you're going to realise, wow, they got a lot of good ideas. Yeah, they just had yeah. no room to, to speak. Yeah. And... You know, to be fair to Fish, as he sort of said, he was always pushed forward to be the, the voice of the band, a spokesperson. Yeah, yeah and this isn't a criticism of Fish no, no. at all. It's just a statement, you know, some people do have stronger personalities. Yeah. It's not necessarily good or bad. It just, that's how life is. So, so as I say, it got to number five, which was a really good result. That's amazing. But it didn't stick around in the charts. Right. Um, and Fish was clearly peed off because then what happened was even though he was still on a, a contract with EMI as were Marillion um, he felt that there hadn't been the promotion that 
that he'd wanted. So he tried to get out of his contract while also simultaneously, uh, oh. while also simultaneously engaging with legal action with Marillion. So he felt that EMI not putting his album out first somehow penalised him, I guess. And then he was so angry about that that he wanted to leave. Yes, I would have thought that's probably it, but I don't, you know, you'd have to ask him. Let me just quote you some fish uh, words from later on. This wasn't... This so this is looking back. Yes, it's him looking back. So he said there was a lot of bitterness to work through and the legal things. I said, you can keep the name, but give me 50% of the publishing for my writing. And this is him talking to Marillion. Yeah. Suddenly the dogs of war were unleashed, which is fair because I think Marillion would have kind yeah. of gone, hang on, wait a minute, there's five of us and you want 50% of that and the other 50% has to be split between us four? Um, yeah, I don't see the logic in that. And this is the way it works with, with Marillion now, is I believe, um, is that all the money they earn, and I think that might include royalties from the past is all put in a pot and they get paid a wage they get paid the same amount the five of them Mm. which is fair yeah you know i know that the lyrics and the vocals play a huge part in played a huge part in the band's success but the music was just as important well yeah i mean as as as, i mean each part of the music is vital you can hear the difference if they're not there well, well, yeah, it would just be a spoken word album. <laughs> no, I mean, you can, what I mean is you can hear the difference in quality. Yeah. When the, oh, I'm not going to say, actually, just don't add that bit in. Why? No, because it's, it's not being kind, is it? To who? To fish. Well, okay. How I was going to say, you can hear a difference in quality. And I'm not talking about the quality of the, the musicianship. I'm talking about that artistic factor and that composition that, the each of the band members in Marillion obviously added to I think the that's music. a fair comment. It's an absolutely fair comment and it's something that I want to touch upon but not this Yeah, not, not this with time. this album. Yeah. Because it's it's part of the journey that I went through with Fish, but it's also his creative journey is that he didn't uh beyond the first that two albums with Mickey Simmons, he didn't stick with the same writing partners. Yeah. And so, you know, there are lots of sort of uh journeyman kind of session musicians who came in and out and each album was written with different people and for me Fisher sort of defended that by you know and sort of said you know oh it keeps things fresh but I kind of wonder with these people who are just coming in for one album how much do they care really because it's not theirs yeah yeah whereas Marillion Marillion do care it's it's their everything and it feels a bit unfair to sort of go you're less important than the singer. Yeah. So he's going to get 50% and you guys can split the other 50%. That feels really unfair. And it's really unfair that, that so many of us kind of just went, oh, Marillion a fish in the yeah. 80s. And, um, yeah. And at the same time, you know, we just sort of saw that front man. It's easy to do. It's easy to do. Anyway, um, so as Fish sort of described, he said there was a an intense rivalry in the interviews I did. I was a complete fucking super bitch. And so were they. <laughs> super bitch. He said, we were both still signed to the same bloody label. I wish AMI had just dropped me, but they wanted the Phil Collins and Genesis, which caused all sorts of added problems. 
They asked me to sit on vigil for a few months while they put out Season's End on the promise they'd give me the full all-singing, all-dancing, bells and whistles treatment. I went, okay, but I can't just do nothing. So I went on tour, wasting a shitload of money just to be seen to be doing something. Because there had been these rumours, cocaine addict, alcoholic, and I wanted people to see, I'm still working here, still got the songs and the chops. Of course, by the time of Vigil came out, yes, they'd set up a big campaign, but EMI had fired a lot of people who'd been important to it. Costs grew, long story short, I left the label. So, another thing that went wrong for Fish is that um, radio stations wouldn't play State of Mind. Uh, which was arguably the most commercial song on that album. And it was his first single, but they wouldn't play it because it opened with the line, I don't trust the government. Oh, that's right. Oh, no. <laughs> so, and he didn't want to change it. And Yeah. Well, yeah. Oh. Immediately, they couldn't playlist it. Radio 1 wouldn't, wouldn't play it. No. Wouldn't touch it with a bar. That pile. doesn't help him, does it? No, it doesn't. So already he's starting. Already you can see if it's like start as you mean to go on. Already, and if you believe in like science from the universe or whatever, it already seems like he's not on a good path because the label are holding back the release of his album. Radio stations aren't playing his song. Yeah, it's not. It's not starting off and well, he's is lost it? Loads of money on the tour. And and he's in these horrible court cases with his former bandmates. So. Uh, you know, as he describes it going on, because what happened next, um, he managed to leave EMI. And I moved to Polydor and kept the copyrights, which is why I own all the albums from that point on. But it was a really hard time through the 90s. I wanted to be as independent as possible. I bought a farmhouse, and in 1991, I had one of the outbuildings converted into a studio at a cost, I believe, of about half a million quid. Ouch. Ouch. Um, but that year was a killer. With the settlement of the Meridian case and the settlement of the EMI case after I signed to Polydor, the legal bills were something like 400 grand. I was nearly taken out financially. Wow. It got to the point where the zeros didn't matter. In 2001, when my wife left me, I was about 900 grand in debt. So then he was splitting up with his wife as well? Uh, well, his first wife. His first wife. Um, all, all of this at the same time. So as he said, the, the, the financial thing was a guillotine hanging over my head for years and years. So, I think, uh, you know, he got off. It was like, you know, if you're in a, running a race mm-hmm. and you stumble at the start, you're going to mm-hmm. struggle to, to catch up. Yeah. But on top of that, what you don't do if you stumble at the start is then like kind of start shooting yourself in the foot, literally, as <laughs> you're trying to oh, run no. along. <laughs> so, uh, 1991, Internal Exile came out, right. the album. Yeah. Again, largely co-written with Mickey Simmons. It got to number 21 in the UK, so it's quite still a big good. Drop. It's still quite. It's a, a it's huge a, drop, but that is still good. But more importantly, it it flopped in Europe in a big way. Why? Don't know. Um, he's was, quite he's quite popular in Europe well though, yeah Marillion were yeah but for some reason Europe just didn't go for it whether that was due to because this is what this album had and what Fish was talking about a lot of the time it, it was a big Scottish nationalist statement Internal Exile the song was a kind mm. of Scottish nationalist song the cover had Fish in a Tam O'Shanter hat mm-hmm. um, surrounded by Scottish images 
there were there was a lot of sort of Celtic music on the on the album. Maybe it was that it just didn't chime with with European tastes. Yeah, first single was Credo, which is a good song. Great song, great song again. Uh, and it was produced by Chris Kimsey, who had done Misplaced Child and Clutching at Straws. Now, what I will say about this album, Fish has... Well, I'll, I'll tell you what Fish says, and I'll tell you what I said. He said, if albums have direction, Internal Exile was a roundabout. It was a watershed album, and Vigil in a Wilderness of Mirror, my, Mirrors, my first solo record, was a hangover from the Meridian days. The Meridian influences on it are probably more obvious than on internal exile after internal exile i had to decide do i want to go to the progressive side the folk rock side or do i want to go to the power rock side because you had a bit of everything on that album right but listening to it now at the time i thought uh, it was that whole in denial thing i didn't love it at the time i would have i remember having it on in the background while painting a wall at one point in flat i've moved into yeah I didn't love it. I didn't love it. So you remember even at the time thinking this isn't the best. It was disappointing because it does suddenly go from like quite a progressive opening track to um, yeah, hard rock to, to country and Western, you know, ballads and. But that can can sometimes work if it's done well. Here's my thing. It does. I think internal exile is a far better album than I have remembered it or clearly fish remembers it or perhaps people in general remember it. It's a really good album. It's mm. really, actually, genuinely good. Again, like Vigil, for me, he might say it's sort of all over the place, but I actually think it, it feels fairly consistent. Where it falls down is, ironically, the title track, right. which is, you know, effectively, Old MacDonald had a farm, uh, which it is. That's how it started. <laughs> I know. <laughs> um, and then the final track, which is the god-awful something in the air which is a dance or disco version of the 70s uh, classic. Wow. Um, and that was released as a single, and it just felt desperate. It felt direction. That's where the, the lack of direction came in, because mm. that's when I kind of felt at the time, I thought, oh, well, this is funny. It's like a novelty record. Right. But actually, it sent the wrong message because it sounded like him trying desperately to have a hit, which I mean, obviously it in, was. Yeah. If you remember the uh, the trouble he got into putting Mark Kelly and John Arneson on the cover of Vigil in the Wilderness of Mirrors. Yes, what um, did he do this time? This time he direct, um, dedicated a song to EMI's managing director. <laughs> <laughs> um, the song Tongues. As we oh, move to wow. a stalemate, you say a contract's a contract and this is unnegotiable. I question your morality. You question my reality. You're speaking in tongues. Am I deaf because I cannot comprehend? Though I try, I just cannot understand your entrenched opinions on the border of arrogance. Your actions are logical. Uh, Well done, Fish. So, you know, I'm sure that helped with settlements and (laughs) Yeah, I bet that that. went down well. Okay, so Fish says, Mm. this is what Fish says, or said, again, looking back. Yes, One of the reasons Internal Exile was kind of fragmented was that I didn't know what I was doing. It came out of an era that was saddled with cynicism and bitterness and anger. With the EMI case, I didn't even get my case heard because we didn't have enough money to go to the High Court and we had to settle. The settlement was severe. God, My legal bills were huge. Oh my goodness. What annoyed me the most was that EMI was a company that I had been with for a long time and we had sold millions of albums with Marillion and what the litigation had been about and the way that I had been treated had been unfair. 
I was a twisted wee man back then, or boy, I should say. It was really hard to write that album. On a song like Tongues on Internal Exile, there are some of the bitterest lyrics I've ever written about anybody in my life. When I went to Polydor after delivering Internal Exile, they wanted the next album. It hadn't done the numbers that they thought it would, and I was angry at them because I felt they hadn't pulled out the stops that they said they were going to pull. There were regime changes within the company, changes in the managing directors and changes in loyalties. The people who were fans were leaving and there were new people coming in, so it was very much a state of flux. I needed to really get my head together, but the cost of the EMI litigation had put me in a position where I was very close to losing my house. Oh, ouch. So. Yeah. I mean, he did. So he did say at the beginning of that, that quote, I didn't know what I was doing. Yeah. So there was a sense of directionless there. Yeah. A sense of directionless? I mean, it's amazing. I mean, a sense of direction. That again. So there was a sense of directionless. Do you mean a lack of direction? Yeah. There was a lack of direction there, which, yeah. So maybe it really was being mirrored in his, in his music. Yeah. Uh, I mean, hats off to Mickey Simmons and Chris Kimsey for, for pulling it together, yeah, for making it then hold together. Yeah, because it does, and I, I urge anyone to kind of who, who drifted away from that album to go back and listen to it. It's actually got some great songs on there, really has. And the song that surprised me most was was Shadow Play, which was a song I always used to dislike, but um, and I remember I think at the time Fish describing it as sounding a bit early Meridian-y, and I can see that in there, but I never used to see that, and I can now. Oh, um, you just needed some it's distance. It's a good song. It's a cracker of a song. And, you know, I really like Just Good Friends and Tongues and not Tongues. Actually, I don't like Tongues. Tongues is horrible. There's <laughs> <laughs> a, a one track on there and something in the air is embarrassing. But, oh, no. You know, Internal Exiles go fun. And yeah. Dear Friends, nice. Uh, and Credo's a great one live. Yeah. So it was in a bad way. It sounds like it. And then it what? went further wrong. Oh, goodness. When is it going to go well for him? It doesn't. No. It, yeah, it really doesn't. It just gets worse and worse. Oh. I mean, it's just, it is a tragedy almost. I would love to have seen what Fish could have done with all those pressures lifted. And I'll tell you what yes. What almost uh, reveals it is, is Welshmurtz, where he seems, oh, I'm dumb, I'm going to shut okay, up. Okay, yeah, 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 wait till I'm we get there. All right, all right. So in 92... He had a triple whammy of bad luck. More, oh my goodness. First off, Andy Field, who had been his production manager, died. And Andy Field was basically half of Fish's management team at that time. Uh, so that hit him, because I think they were quite close. Uh, then he was dropped by his publishing company, Hit and Run. And then Mickey Simmons resigned as co-writer. Man. So Fish was left without a publishing deal. Half of his management gone. And no one to write an album with. Oh, that's heavy. That is heavy. And on top of that, Polydor were breathing down his album going, we need a new album, ASAP. Breathing down his album? (laughs) (laughs) You know, you never heard that phrase. No. (laughs) Breathing down his album saying, we need a new neck. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, famous phrase. You know what I mean. God, the pressure was really on. And he had all those legal bills to pay. Yeah, so he had a huge hole in his finances just at a time when he he was hundreds of thousands of pounds in debt. So he tried writing a new album 
and it didn't work with some new co-writers and he obviously was struggling to come up with the lyrics. So he went to Polydor with a proposal. He suggested that instead of the two album deal that he'd agreed to, they change it to a three album deal. Right. And the second album becomes a covers album and then he'd give them a bona fide third album. Right. Polydor said, no, bugger off. Uh, Fish pushed back, Polydor pushed back and said, well, okay, how about a covers EP? Fish said, no, (laughs) I I can't, I need breathing space. I can't move forward with an album now. But one thing he had negotiated as part of his contract was full creative control over what he delivered. Right. He was able to go back to Polydor and say, you know, I'm doing a covers album. And I I don't know if we've mentioned it in this podcast but you definitely said it in the, the our first recording of it our first take the reason he wanted to do a covers album because of everything that had happened he gave him massive writer's block i literally just said that did you yeah i may not have used the word writer's block but oh. i said he was struggling to write the album and he couldn't write any lyrics oh okay <laughs> <laughs> literally said that about a minute ago oh well, i was thanks waiting for, listening. for the words thanks for listening i was waiting for, <laughs> I was waiting for the words writer's block that's like, yeah, that's the whole reason. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, I, mean, I don't know if I wasn't clear, but <laughs> I just ignored. No, i I don't think the I don't think the uh, message went in. Okay, he had writer's block basically because yeah. the pressure. Uh, so, um, so that's what that's what he delivered them. And bear in mind that his previous single had been a cover version, mm. and then this came out with. Um, and the first single was Hold Your Head Up. Mm. Uh, oh God, who did the original? Was it Argent? You know, 70s classic rock style that came with, and we did discuss this in the previous podcast, came with a sticker of a, oh, of yeah. a bull in a ghostbusters style with a red line through it yes. that said, never mind the bullocks. And we couldn't figure out why. I don't think anyone ever figured out why it came with that sticker. I think Fish had said, "I'll oh, put it up in like on the London Underground and put it up in places." But but it had no, it didn't have his name on it or anything. It probably did somewhere, but it had no conceptual sort of link to the album or the the single or anything. It was just like I remember at the time thinking, "This is a, it's a bit weird, isn't it?" Did you? <laughs> <laughs> this is a little bit weird. Did you ever see any of the stickers on the London Underground? No. Did you ever place a sticker anywhere? No. You didn't? No. Oh. Well, it was weird. This is why it didn't, <laughs> it this is why it didn't catch on, Paul. Why did it say, why did it say, never mind the bullocks? It's like, what? No. This is off, because this is the thing with fish. It's like sometimes, sometimes he's a bit been a bit weird over the years. Right. But is it weird because he just hasn't explained it? <laughs> well, I think what happens is he, it's like, you know, he has in jokes. Right. With, with friends and family or whatever. And mm. then that, I think then bleeds outwards without necessarily that explanation. Right. That's the sense I've always got. Like he's, you know, he'll have these phrases that he'll get hooked on, like Fellini days. Right. And, oh, I've got a head full of chocolate frogs or whatever. And then they end up becoming lyrics or something. Right. But he'll, he'll have been using these phrases for years before that no one else uses, that just fish phrases. Right. Uh, So I guess unless you were there when he first had the idea. Yeah. It kind of gets lost in translation or something. Maybe there's some cows in the next field to where he lived. (laughs) And one day he said... No, but I know. But if he wants people to stick the stickers on trains and buses, 
it does help to kind of explain I mean, maybe a stick, what yeah. does Never Mind the Bullocks mean. Maybe a sticker that said buy the new Fish album would have been better. <laughs> Fish has a new album out. <laughs> it's Spread like, the word. It's just, it was just weird. Anyway, so it's not a bad album, Songs from the Mirror. Right. It's fine. Yeah. Uh, it was produced by a guy called James Cassidy, who Fish had met uh, while doing Spartacus. Uh, al- the album by Jeff Wayne, who did War of the Worlds. Oh, uh, cool. Fish playing. I can't remember. Was he got a gladiator or something? Uh, it's fine, but it's he, he doesn't he doesn't really improve on any of the songs as such. There's some nice versions on there. I really like his version of Fearless by Pink Floyd. He does a Genesis uh, song. I know what I like in your wardrobe because oh, he, right. said, he said if I didn't, people would have said. Why haven't you put a Genesis song right. on there? He did David Bowie's Five Years uh, Solo by Sandy Denny's. Really, it was a nice song. Uh, but again, I'm not sure Fish improves on any of the mm. songs. Did you have the same experience with this album where going back to it after many years, you liked it more than when you heard it at the time? No, because it feels pointless. Oh, it, it pointless felt how? pointless at the time because it was like what I wanted was an album of new Fish music. Right, so it wasn't filling a need. It wasn't filling a gap. Yeah, and if he'd if he'd done something different with these songs or improved on them, or in fact, what they probably did is they highlighted shortcomings in his voice, really. Uh. Um, for me, and I think I even thought that at the time, even though he was still singing well at that point, uh, right. I, I felt, yeah, he's he's. He's no Sandy Denny. He's no Mark Bolan. He's no David Right. Bowen. So he, are you saying that he didn't manage to make the songs his own? In in And what I mean by that is that he didn't make the songs work for him. No, not really for me. Not for me. Uh, it wasn't what I wanted at the time. But, you know, with hindsight, I get why he did it. Yeah. Oh, uh, absolutely. Yeah. He needed that time. To try and sort himself out, uh, you know, and and from that point of view, you know, it bought him a bit of space. It, it gave him another reason to tour, and I seem to remember that tour being quite a good tour. Uh, but right, but again, I didn't want to hear Fish doing covers. I wanted to hear original Fish songs, or yeah, or, or if he, I guess if they'd taken point. the covers and what, what what I meant before by saying he didn't make them his own, if he'd taken those covers and really changed them to make them more like fish originals. Yeah. But just with the same lyrics as before. Well, but look, then he's not a musician. So how can he do that? Well, fish, fish would probably bite your head off for saying that. Yeah, he probably would. I hope he never listens to this. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he probably would uh, like put dynamite in my eyes or something. In your, that's interesting. Dynamite in your eyes. Yeah. Wow. Uh, so I can't look at him. You can't look at him. Yeah. I'll say you can't look at it, so he'll blow your eyes up. So you <laughs> yes, can't, can't look, look at it. And look at what he's doing. You'd rather he put dynamite in your ears, wouldn't you? <laughs> yeah, I should have said that. Yeah, he can any day. Oh, ouch. Ouch. <laughs> oh, no. Why did I say that? Right, so... Oh, I wish I could keep my opinions to myself. So, yeah, Fish would probably kill you for saying that. Yeah, he would. Uh, because... He'd kill he... both of us for this whole podcast. As he as he has sort of said, you know, he it's it, he's directing it musically, even if he isn't necessarily 
you know, he's coming up with the, right. the rhythm. So he does. Have yeah, but a lot how can you impact. do that unless you are a musician? By going, can I can the next bit go? <laughs> but again, how can you do that if you're not a musician? You, uh, musicians have, you know, years of experience well. with the, their instrument. You can't tell someone. I mean, I suppose you could say, could you make this bit go faster or something? I don't know. Oh, I don't know. Well, I'm going to shut I'm up. I'm just going to let you continue digging the hole. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, there oh, were, God. He did Maybe do... cut all this no, out. No, 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 no. It's, it's all valid. Uh, Is it? It's, it's all going to be written on your headstone. No, no, don't. <laughs> well, Killed do by dynamite agree... in her eyes. Do you not agree with me, though? Look, I'm not enough of a musician to know or... I don't know. I mean, I, I, I don't know. I just feel like if you're going to be changing the music, surely that change has to come from within. I think you can be, I think you can have such a thing as a musical director who can yeah. guide the music. It's like. Yeah, you, I mean, I suppose. Yeah, that is true. Yeah, a director of a movie might not know how to act. That is true. Yeah, that is true. So I don't know if I do. Music fully producers. Agree. Not all of them can are change albums for the better. Yes. Drastically. Yeah, you're right. Okay, I take back everything I said. <laughs> you can remove the dynamite. Right. So, but he did do, he, he did sort of change up some of those songs. I mean, the version of I Know What I Like in Your Wardrobe. Uh, I don't even know how to describe what they did to it. It's not very good. Oh, um, Paul. It's kind of, I don't know, they sort of put a bit of a kind of groove into it. And it's like, I don't know, but not in. Oh, I don't know. It's not good. It's okay. not. It's really not good. Five well, years is all be right. Be careful because you might be getting dynamite soon. Dynamite up my bum. <laughs> so I can't shit on him anymore. <laughs> uh, so, also in 1992, due to the fact that Fish was in a bit of a hole, mm -hmm. um, he proposed to Marillion that they do a reunion to coincide with a forthcoming Best Of album. Right. Is this after they'd come to some sort of peace with each other after their... Well, uh, let me read you these quotes from uh, Fish. So as he jokes about the fact that they turned him down, he says, oh yeah, of course, Meridian are all millionaires, aren't they? Uh, the fact of the matter is, last year they talked of putting out a best of album uh, and he had proposed re-recording or recording Institution Waltz, which was a song that was pre-script that he did eventually put out on his Yin Yang album. He recorded it himself because Meridian weren't interested in them all getting together to re-record Institution Waltz. Um, and he proposed doing that with Chris Kimsey, who producer of their biggest albums, um, and recording it at the Funny Farm, which would be cheap, which was his recording studio. Uh, Fish said, The album meant as much to me as it did to them. I have six songs on it, which I want 50% of the publishing of. There we go again. Uh, let's make no bones about this. I love doing music. But I don't it, do Wait, it. hang on. So he's still asking for 50%? Look, I don't know. And I'm letting just, the other 50% be, be shared between... I'm not getting into the nitty-gritty of, of legal oh, Has he learnt nothing from their previous court case? This is an old quote, so let me carry on. I have six songs on it, which I want 50% of the publishing of. Let me make no bones about this. I love doing music, but I don't do it for free. It's my job, which I think is a really key phrase. I'm not going to dress up in a Ronald McDonald costume and sing a McDonald's advert, but if it comes down to material that I've already written and I'm proud of and packaging it in a better way, which might mean it's going to sell more than it usually would, then I'm going to do it. I said to them, look, everybody's got these tracks. If we've got a new track on it, it's going to make it a far more interesting collector's item. 
I just felt it would have helped that album. They came back after I suggested it and said they felt it would be a regressive step. I said, if it's such a regressive step, why bother putting any of the old stuff on it? They said, oh, well, that's different. I talked to promoters. I talked to merchandisers. Uh, merchandisers? <laughs> <laughs> I talked to promoters. I talked to merchandisers. I can't you say said it. it again. I talked to promoters. I talked to merchandisers. There you go. I even talked to EMI, all of whom thought it was a great idea to get back together and do a concert. It was going to be an hour and a half of my band, an hour and a half of their band with Steve Hogarth, and an hour and a half of the old band plus the other musicians playing some of the stuff that we would never otherwise perform as solo or new Meridian entities. I seem to remember he talked about doing the whole of Misplaced Childhood plus Grendel. Whoa. And it was set over two festivals, one in Germany and one in the UK. That was the idea. Yeah. We were going to film it. So I would get a film and they would get a film of their new material in front of a big crowd. We would have a great video of the old band and quite a special gig that we would be able to sell back. Uh, to back up the best of album we'd also get a live album of that stuff it would have been really good as far as i'm concerned but meridian came back and they wouldn't talk to me but their manager came back and said oh the band have had a vote on it and they've decided that they'd never walk on stage with you again ever in their lives ouch and it was like fair enough so what big deal and the album came out and it sold diddly shit and i think they probably regret the decision now oh do you think they regret the decision now no do you think part of their decision was because they didn't want to get back into that whole 50% thing? Okay, you're focusing way too much on... <laughs> I don't... Look, I'm nervous with the 50% thing because I don't know how accurate that is or what that is. It's legal shit. Let's just drop okay, the 50% right, right, thing because it. it makes me nervous. Drop it. Walk away from it. Yeah, it, it's every time you bring it up, it my stomach Okay, clenches. do you know what? Just cut, cut, edit that bit out. It, no, I'm leaving it in because I want people to know that I'm nervous about the 50% thing. I don't know what Fish yeah, was asking Yeah, but now you're for. talking about it even more. So it's better just I'm to edit it I'm talking about how out. I don't want to talk about it. Yeah, but you, if you edit it out. I don't want to edit it out. I've already done two podcasts this week and one died. The media have taken the opportunity of the split to ignore both factions. This is Fish saying this, not yeah. me. And by doing that concert, the media attention would have been good for both of our careers. I thought it would have been a nice gesture to the fans after all the shit that's gone down and all the shit that's been spread in the press. Are we mature individuals or not? <laughs> I mean, it's all just so stupid. All I did was leave a goddamn band. It's not as if I raped their wives and bombed oh, their houses. Oh, mm-hmm. okay. Do you think he's still angry? Do you think he was a bit angry and I bitter? I don't know. I don't know. He doesn't really make it clear, does he? Yeah. All I did was leave the band and I think it helped them and it helped me. It helped them realise that they had an awful lot more work to do. <gasps> Meow! <laughs> no! Oh my goodness. So Fish says, I don't regret leaving. I would have liked to have stayed in Meridian if I could carry on with what I'm doing now. But there would have been no way with all the egos that were in that band <gasps> at the time. Well, 50% of the band's egos. <laughs> <laughs> Seems oh, to be one person. This is the best, the best quote coming directly after he said that. You've got to remember... That both of us have grown up a hell of a lot. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> yes. And Brilliant. then, and then, yeah. Talk about anti-shit sandwich. Yeah. And then he says, "I saw the band in Edinburgh last year, and I looked at them, and I watched Steve Hogarth perform, and I sat there and thought, I'm really glad I left <gasps> because it was turning into a cabaret. 
No. All that soul that was a Marillion marker had gone. Basically, he's talking about himself. He's talking about himself. And they're a totally different band with Hogarth. Oh, my goodness. It was the, I think it was the best move I could have possibly made. Oh, wow. Gee, I wonder why they didn't want to go back on stage with him. Wouldn't have a clue. I mean, that's, it's just, that's the mother of all quotes, isn't it? Wow. It's the mother of all quotes. It's like, mate. And the thing is, what's really sad, you know, and Meridian weren't angels in the press, you know, as we know. We know that. Ape said a lot of things. Yes. From being backed into a corner. Yeah. We know Meridian weren't always the most. But it kind of, it kind of, hearing this side of it almost gives context to perhaps H's responses in the press. If he's hearing comments like this. About him. About him. Frankly. You can't really blame him for not taking it well. No. And you can't blame him for feeling, I suppose, insecure when you've got the former lead singer saying, I was all the soul in that band. Yeah. And also you can't blame him for getting a bit defensive and saying, we want to move forward from our past and change our sound. Why would they go back when that was what was happening? Which, you know, ultimately we know that we love their sound and it was yeah. this. Yeah. Okay. I'm not going to say any more. Okay. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll get there. So 93 songs for the mirror came out much to Polydor's regret. <laughs> if you remember vigil number five. Yes. Internal exile 21. 20, yep. Where do you think this got oh, the covers album? The covers album 43, 46. People weren't rushing out to buy the covers album. Were they? No, nah, no. Nah. Uh, it didn't even have a Mark Wilkinson cover. It had. Um, what happened? Was there? What was the reason for that? Alter. Ow! Ooh, oh, what happened? <laughs> oh, <laughs> the chaos. <laughs> Ow! Oh no, are you okay? Yeah, I. Sorry, everyone. I managed to somehow get a bulldog bulldog clip on the end of clip my fingers. To your finger. <laughs> There are worse places to get a bulldog clip clip to. Your glands. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. 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 So, no Mark Wilkinson cover. Fish said, the vigil sleeve was brilliant. It was an absolutely excellent sleeve. And that was a peak. Internal Exile wasn't, I wasn't as interested in. It didn't capture my imagination as much as vigil. I felt we needed to take a break. Mark and I both felt we'd run our distance as far as that road goes. So we felt we needed to take a breather from each other. Oh. Oh. I mean, he stayed mates with Mark Wilkinson because right. he provided all his other covers. Oh, after uh, this album. Yeah. Oh, so, okay. ironically, the covers album almost didn't have a cover. <laughs> oh, very good. It did. And, uh, uh, very the, good. The cover is a painting that I think Fish has up in his house, if Fish on Friday is anything oh. to go by, called The Guddler of a man tickling a fish. <laughs> I need to see this. <laughs> What's the album called again? Uh, Songs from the Mirror. Okay. Oh, yes. Well, in- interesting. What do you think of that? The Guddler? It's okay. It's do all you right. prefer that to Mark Wilkinson's ones? You probably do, don't you? Oh, it's hard you to he- say. You heretic. I mean, yeah, maybe. Maybe. I prefer it a little bit, yes. So around the time of the album, Fish said... We've had tremendous bad luck in the last three or four years. On one tour, 48 hours before the tour was going to kick off with the production and the trucks, the promoter went bankrupt. We lost 150 grand. 
Whoa. Oh. Nothing we could do about it. No legal comeback, nothing. That affected everybody's morale to some extent. That's crazy. I mean... You can't make this stuff up. But the thing is, it carried on. I don't know how the one person can have so much bad luck. Yeah. It carries on. It's just bizarre, isn't it? Yeah. So he said I mean, about, my, I, oh. I have to say it. My superstition is always, if stuff keeps going wrong, it's almost like you're going in the wrong direction. Turn around and do something else. Well, what's that famous quote about the hole where if you, I see a hole in the ground, I fall, <gasps> and I, I yes. fall down it. I see a hole in the road. No, I don't see a hole Let's in the road. Let's look it up. What is I'm the quote? I'm walking down the road. Let's look it up. And there's a hole. No, no, no. We'll look it up. Instead, right. of, instead of us spending 10 minutes... Hole in the ground, digging an hole. That's lovely. You should do. You should get someone to. Right, make... said Fred. Get... I'll stop that now. Do a, do a cover. Get fish to do a covers yeah, version of that. I found. Would. I found one that says autobi. It's called autobiography in five chapters. Chapter one. I walk down the street. There is a deep hole in the sidewalk. I fall in. I'm lost. I'm hopeless. It isn't my fault. It takes forever to find a way out. Chapter two. I walk down the same street. There is a deep hole in the sidewalk. I pretend that I don't see it. I fall in again. I can't believe I'm in the same place. But it isn't my fault. It still takes a long time to get out. Chapter three. I walk down the same street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I see it's there. I still fall in. It's a habit. My eyes are open. I know where I am. It is my fault. I get out immediately. Chapter four. I walk down the same street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I walk around it. Chapter five. I walk down another street. The end. (sighs) I don't know who wrote that. I did. Oh, uh, Portia (laughs) Nelson. I wrote it. You wrote it. Yeah. Is your name Portia Nelson? Yep. Oh, cool. Yeah. I'll, I'll um, use that from now on. So Fish described Songs for the Mirror as the worst creative decision I ever made in my life. But psychologically, I needed to do it. I thought I would go back and rediscover the reason I fell in love with music in the first place. The album went into the charts with an anchor, appropriate, and people didn't understand it. Some of the versions in what retrospect. Does that mean? What does it mean it went in with an anchor? Sunk without a trace. Oh. Didn't move. Oh. <laughs> um, some of the versions in retrospect would have made great B-sides, but they weren't album tracks. It shocked people and it severely shocked Polydor. I was in a situation where I could have taken another six months to write the Suits album, but I needed to record it without sinking further into debt. Yes. What I think is a shame that that it was just a straightforward covers album and he didn't do... It was called the Geistfahrer, which was um, which is German for ghost driver or something. I think. Apologies to any German listeners for my pronunciation, but which is a supposed phenomenon on the autobahns where businessmen commit suicide by driving the wrong way down the road and hitting trucks. And Fish, when he'd been in Marillion, had tried to convince them to do a covers project, uh, whereby the covers would be songs on the radio performed by Marillion, but they would be linked with kind of theatrical bits in That's between the idea. songs of the guy twiddling the radio yeah. um, while, while driving to his death. It's actually a good idea. 
It's a great idea. I would love to have he'd done that yeah. with this. Just but add some bits in he between. He didn't do it in the end. I mean, he was not in a good place. He wasn't. He was in a bad place, wasn't he? Ironic, isn't it, that he seems to be driving down the highway in the wrong direction. Oh. With, at the moment. Ouch. Yeah. Anyway, he says. Um, so he says, I had to put that album to them. That is songs from the mirror, not Geist Farah. Yeah. And, uh, and offer them suits. But after some discussion, it was decided they didn't want me. So I was dropped from Polydor. It was back to the stress and the drama again. How I managed to get albums out, I don't actually know. Wow. Wow. Intense. Intense. So he did manage to get another album out. He set up his own record company called Dick Brothers. Don't pull that face. We've all made the jokes. Yes, surely, surely by now we're not going to smirk at that, Sanya. I'm not smirking. It's named after his dad's garage that he had in Delkey. Oh, phew. So it was the Dick Brothers Record Company. Okay. Dick Labels. <laughs> so Dick Song. Dick Music. Okay, what are you doing? <laughs> Sorry. What is going on? What are you doing? <laughs> I don't regret this whole episode. <laughs> Why? <laughs> I feel so on edge. Because you're because it's fish, isn't it? Yeah. This feels like you know what it feels like. I feel like? so on edge, and I'm so trying so hard to be well behaved. Years ago, but sometimes things slip out. Years ago, yeah. I went to a alligator stroke crocodile farm, mm. and there I saw a man crawling on a rope across uh, an infested alligator pit and he had meat hanging from his belt. Oh, my goodness. That's what this episode feels That's like. What, yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Why are we even doing it? Because I think it's an important part of I the story. I should just not open my mouth. It, it, it's an important part of the story and we're trying to be thorough. And, you know, Ow. people asked why Ow. they were surprised. Are you all right? Yeah. Now what have you done? Right, so let's talk Suits. Let's move on. Yeah, let's move on. 1994, Suits did better. It did better than oh, the last two albums. Hallelujah. Got to number 18 in the UK. Amazing. Uh, co-written with James Cassidy, who also produced, and largely co- co-written on a lot of the tracks with Robin Bolt, who was, of oh. course, Peter Ravis's best friend. Yes. Bet that wasn't awkward at all when Pete and Robin met up. Um it was, uh, this was the point at which I first interviewed Fish. Right. I have dug up an interview with Fish, but not from this time. Mm-hmm. I managed to find one that I did with him. So we'll read that out perhaps next week. Oh, exciting. It's a, it's a very modern or more modern sounding album. In, fact, it, you know, in the way it's got some more electronic sounds on it. It's still very much in a, for me, it still sounds a bit confused as an album. Right. It actually starts really strong. The first four or five tracks are really good. And I think it ends strong um, with the song Raw Meat. But, and I remember asking him this at the time because lyrically, lyrically, my God, it is a, a awkward album. It's it's Awkward uh, in what way? Because he sounds really unhappy. Oh, no. And I remember asking him at the time whether, as he often did, would would before I'd finished my sentence, he would kind of jump to the defensive. I remember I went to ask him if if the, the lyrics were a reflection of where he was at in his career, and he immediately jumped on the defensive and said, "It's not an anti-record company 
album. Oh no! <laughs> he probably felt he had to say that after yeah. Tongs. Um, the first single was Lady so when, Let It Lie. So. Oh, I was going to say when you said he sounded unhappy in the lyrics, it was to do with his career, or was it? No, in not his just his career. Life? Both. Both. Well, as as we've since learned, uh, his first marriage wasn't always a happy one. We will get to that because it does inform the lyrics increasingly over the next few albums. But but here's where it sort of seems to start. Um, so, Lady Let It Lie. You should have listened to what your mother said. You should have listened to what your father told you to do. But you always did just what you always wanted to do. Now you end up here singing in a gilded cage. And for half your life, you were wishing you were half your age. Lady Let It Lie. It's hard putting down family roots when you're living in a mobile home. But there's always blood, even in a rolling stone. You squeeze me hard for the white-collar dream, but you woke up to a tie-dye lifestyle and it's choking me, lady let it lie. All the boys want to be, all the girls want to be, all the boys, I don't want to be me no more. Which is the refrain that keeps coming up in the song, I don't oh. want to be me no more. It's actually made me choke up a bit then. Yeah. Um, it was a good single. Uh, it didn't do anything. I mean, I actually like it as a song, and it was I think it was the best choice for sort of first single off that album. The second single was um, uh, Fortunes of War, mm-hmm. which uh, he attempted a, an interesting release strategy with that, whereby he'd release a different version of the single every week for four weeks with the intention of it staying in the charts for longer. But record companies got confused and sold them all as one box set. Oh, um, so oh it didn't dear. have the. I oh know. <laughs> you just want to swoop in and rescue him and sort yeah. of take him out of the situation and go. Oh, don't worry about it anymore, fish. So onto his career. Yeah. Talking of uh, the song Emperor's Song, right? Which is a great song. I really like it. It's one of my favourites on the album, if not my favourite. You followed advice. You followed the work. You followed the rules. You gave it your lot. But a younger man's just taken on your job. What do you do when it's all too much, when you're out of luck and out of touch and you can't relate to anything they say? What do you do when it gets too tough? When you want to say that enough's enough, you want to walk away and just throw in the towel. Do you hang on until the bitter end? There's a bandwagon leaving, but it's not for me. I swallowed all the hooks and want no more. Oh, my goodness. Bandwagon is, uh, if there's a concept on this album, which seems like a concept of a man whose, whose relationship and career are going down the the drain what do, what, uh, what do you think concept. he means when he says bandwagon i well do you want the lyric from uh, another song that might shed some light on it the song bandwagon <laughs> <laughs> bandwagon it's coming into town to turn your life around and to take you to the places that you once could only dream of they'll be standing right there before your eyes and the heroes that you worship they'll be riding with you up there by their side on the bandwagon is rolling into town, gathering the crowds to show them all the places that they once could only dream of and put them right before their very eyes in the stories that they're selling for some pennies and a little of our time. Well, do I hear you say I'm only dreaming, but I'm staring out the window, letting all my life just pass me by. In my defence, listen to me, I have never stopped believing. There's a better world out there waiting and all I have to do is hitch a ride on the bandwagon. I think it's... It's his career. It's the music industry. Yeah. And he's waiting for that to to come round to, in him to come back into favour. I mean, the song Pipeline. I'm going to go on because... It, Goodness, it's, it's like relentless. Pipe, pipeline, the very Who-esque Pipeline. Another song that's better than I remembered it. 
Waiting on the lyric, waiting on the song. I know the muse is coming, I'm holding on. Waiting on the chances, waiting on the breaks, waiting on an opportunity that I could take. I'm still waiting. And all the time I wonder why, just what or who the hell I am. Where I'm at, where I'm from, where I'm going, where I belong. Waiting in the pipeline, waiting on the silence, waiting on the sound, waiting in the backstage. Waiting on the crowd, waiting. Waiting on the critic, waiting on the gong. Waiting on the DJ to play my song. Play my song, I'm waiting, and all the time I wonder why. That's so sad and depressing. It, uh, it gets worse. God. The song Raw Meat. I mean, it, it. this is, in a funny way, it's also giving me a kind of, respect's the wrong word, but I can't think of the right word to say. Can't, so I'll say respect for him for just sticking it out through all this. It's like, he is a resilient fellow. If 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 he's anything, he's resilient. Well, to just be able to walk through this minefield of crap. But he's, he, but he's sort of questioning whether he should and whether he should walk away. But he's not walking like. away. He just keeps walking through it. But here's the thing. It's like... I, I'm not saying I, it's always the right decision, but it's like, well, if, if anything, at least he's resilient. That's not always the best way to deal with things. I'm the first person to quit and walk away. But... But I, you know, I, I you've think, got to admire someone who is able to stick through. Speaking from my own, from my own personal experience, there have been times when I've my day job career, but I've kind of gone. Uh, I don't enjoy this. Yeah, you know, you know I've had. Oh yeah. Ye- oh yeah. At points where I've kind of gone, this isn't what I want to be doing. Yeah. Because it's been, yeah, you know, I've had a tough year. Yeah. Or or a tough job. Yeah. And the trouble is, when you've been doing it a long time. And, you know, now I'm like 50 and Fish at the time was, you know, well into his 40s, probably. Yeah. I can't I can't think 94, how old he would have been, but he was probably at least late 30s. Mm-hmm. And he'd been doing, being a rock star for a long time. Yeah. How do you switch? It's like oh, now, I if I, if now if I wanted to change careers, I couldn't. I how do I switch to something else? But at the same time, you know, it's a, it's a poison chalice because... You know, and I'm going to be really raw and honest here and sort of say I can relate to some of these lyrics because I sometimes feel I'm not flavour of the month in my day job anymore. You know, I'm older. Mm. And that sometimes does, it does count against me. There is a degree of ageism in yeah. the TV industry. And the music uh, industry. And the music industry, you know, the entertainment industry. Yeah. Uh, I'm not flavour of the month anymore when there was a time when I was in my late 20s in my 30s, even my 40s to a degree, where where I was kind of considered hot and and now I'm not. And Some it's... would still consider you hot. Oh, you're a good wife. Thank you very much. But um but it but and it's it it's it's hard kind of having to accept or accept I accept it. You know what? I accept that. I accept I always knew that that was always probably gonna be the case. But what's hard is when I kind of feel, hang on, I'm only 50 rather yeah. than, my God, I'm 50. Yeah. When I go, I'm only 50, I ain't retiring for another 20 years yet. Yeah. You know, what the fuck am I going to do to earn money in that time? Yeah. That's when it becomes scary. Yeah. At the same time, I'm locked into having to earn money the way I do. Yeah. Because I don't know how I can do anything else at this age. You know, there have been times when I've kind of floated the idea to people of, 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 changing careers or doing something different within my industry mm. and they've kind of been like stay in your lane and it's like well i'd love to but you've told me i'm not flavor of the month 
Yeah. So it's hard. So I get I get where he's coming at coming from in these in these lyrics. Mm. Uh, and at the same time, you know, he was talking about writing a book back in the eighties. And he what? continued to talk about it and writing screenplays and books throughout the 90s and the noughties and he's still talking about it. But he, I guess he didn't have the time because he was just fighting exactly. to get these That's albums That's what it becomes. Out. It becomes a treadmill. Treadmill, yeah. Um, but I mean, listen to this. That This is the last track on the album, Raw Meat. The hunter of the autograph, he wants my name and I just can't find the strength to turn him down. Raw meat for the balcony, don't get me wrong. I don't need your sympathy. Just lend me a needle and spare me a dime. Just a tear in the public eye. From laughing or crying, it don't mean that much to me. Some sort of reaction is all that I need. The cognac goes down better in the hotel room when you're staring at the writing on the wall. Condemned by the critics who just want to tear me down when it's just another lyric going for a song. We're low on life on the highway in search of coin, picking up the pennies from the road. Guided by direction in the wake of stars, we were driven by a dream that's broken down. But the bandwagon's parked up in another town. We hope tomorrow it's heading out our way. To get us out the tunnel where we've paid our dues. With friends we buried out there beyond the lights. Raw meat for the balcony. Is that all I am? Is that all I'm going to be? Raw meat for the balcony. Nobody's fool but mine. Is that my destiny? But if that bandwagon takes off for another town. And the suits that buy the wine don't like my song. Though I'm playing to empty tables till the curtain falls. I'll always find the strength to carry on. Wow. Poor guy. Yeah. Because he'd been a huge star in the 80s. Yeah, he had. And whether, you know, having gone through the misplaced childhood and clutching lyrics, whether or not that was the right thing for him or the best thing for him, he was a huge star. And so it's, it it must have been hard kind of going, I'm not as loved (laughs) as I was. Yeah, absolutely. And ironically, in a similar way, to the H was going, I'm not able to lift this band up to where they once were. Right. So yeah. you actually have the two of them both going through not dissimilar things. True. That, yeah, that's a really good observation. Uh, yeah. You know, when you look at those lyrics. Yeah, that's true. But what's really telling with this album is that there's a sadness to those words. Yeah. Whereas there'd perhaps been bitterness in on Internal Exile. Yeah. Here it more seems like a sadness, mm. more sense of like loss, weariness, a yeah. weariness, a tiredness, and the thing yeah. is, it didn't stop after this. Oh my goodness! But let me just read out before we finish this week. He describes Suits as an album that was still struggling to find a direction and recovering from Songs from the Mirror. He said some some of the reviews from Songs from the Mirror were like a dagger to my heart. My confidence was kind of low having just been thrown off my second major label. I had never really worked in that situation before. Uh, So basically what they did as part of the plan is that on the Dick Brothers label, he put out a whole bunch of bootlegs. Right. Official bootlegs, Mm -hmm. which were all right. Um, And they helped to plug some of the hole. Um, So he said, suits held the ship, but it didn't advance it. And I was still sliding. One thing I did notice that the endings of songs we were playing were going on for a very long time and could have done with quite a lot of editing. Right. Okay, that's apropos nothing. (laughs) He described it as, I think there was a soul and swing coming into me that I was finding more confidence in expressing. With songs like Jumpsuit City, which I really don't like, but anyway, I was sitting there on the groove. I would definitely say that was the next step back on the ladder after I fell off. 
I knew it was going to be a pretty big climb, but I got back into finding a groove and finding a soul and finding something else that was exciting me again. So it was an important album to do. If you listen to Raw Meat, which is the final track of the album, that was a song about the state of mind I was in at the time. So We could tell. We could tell, mate. I don't love Suits. It's all right. As I say, there's some good songs on there. But again, what was happening, if this is we're talking about this exercise, is charting my journey with yes. Fish. Yeah. He'd lost with the songs the theatricality that I'd always loved about him, that I'd fallen in love with. Oh, right. So, so I, it, on this, it was on this album you noticed that that theatricality was missing. I didn't notice then. I'm missing. talking about now retrospectively, having binged all the albums over the last few weeks. Yeah. But it's interesting that I sort of talked about the Geistfahrer thing, that if he was yeah. going to do songs from the mirror or he was going to do a covers album, then, mm. well, why not add that theatrical element? Yes. Because for me, that's what's, what Fish had been was a storyteller, but the storyteller thing was wrapped up in that theatricality. It's the jester. Yeah, and I think what it felt like was that he was pursuing this more sort of straightforward rock yeah. direction. Yeah. Um, whereas I was less interested in that and I was more interested in, you know, it, it felt like I, he, I wanted I wanted the fish that was influenced by Peter Gabriel. Not, yeah, not, you wanted that complexity. Yeah, not the fish that was influenced by Alex Harvey or Little Feet. Mm. Which he, you know, bands that he loved growing up and clearly, you know, that for some reason he felt that that was the direction he wanted to pursue despite the fact that, you know, everyone, follow your muse. Absolutely. I'm not going to criticise him for that. But what I had grown up loving from Fish was something very different to what we started to get. Right. Yep. And I missed the bigness of his music. Mm. Instead of, you know, this bar, pub, rock thing that we were getting, I missed Big fish music. Yeah. If you know what I mean. Yeah, by the that. story, the complexity, the theatricality. Yeah. And I did the always. The thrills, I guess. Yeah. And I did always wonder whether part of that came from the, the sort of fly by night co writers that he had. Oh, you know, I see. People that, you know, and I, I know Frank Usher, who was his longtime guitarist, mm. hated Grendel when he <gasps> had to play it at Leamington Spa. for me. So, you know, all right, okay, Marillion and Fish hate Grendel. But, you know, <laughs> but <laughs> someone who couldn't perhaps wrap their head around what that was or why it, it maybe had worth mm. perhaps wasn't the right person to be mm. in his band. I don't know. I mean, maybe I'm, he didn't want to have that theatricality He clearly anymore. didn't. Look, he went he, in a direction. He didn't have the that, energy yeah. for it anymore. He mm. went in a direction that that was right for him then. Yeah. But as we've sort of, and as he admitted, his eye wasn't always on the ball creatively because he had all this other stuff. He had too to much with. going on in the background. Yeah. Uh, you know, ideally, I suppose he would have had five years off or something or a year off. Or maybe gone and done something else, written a book. Yeah, just to have a break from it all, to get out of, of that horrible, stressful experience that it had been. Yeah. Um, just to have a break. It sounds uh, like he needs a break, but he can't afford to have one. No. Financially. No. It's telling. But emotionally, it's like this guy needs a break. He needs to take a gap here. Yeah. There was a gap until the next Bonafide album. Uh, and it turned a corner for me. I was back on board. Oh. And prior to that wow. coming out, there was a double best of, uh, which we'll get into next week. That was also very good for various reasons that I will get into next oh. week. 
So I think we'll leave it there I mean, for this week on a bit of a cliffhanger. I have to say, though, out of the albums you spoke, you've spoken about today, you seem to have liked most of them, at least in retrospect. There's only been a couple mm. that the covers one that you weren't a massive fan of and suits. So your definition of most is 50%. So <laughs> Oh, no. <laughs> hang on. So your, your definition of most is 50%. That's really interesting. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I thought we weren't going to mention the word 50% in this podcast anymore. How fascinating. Um, No, I was counting also the album you were going to talk about next week. Yeah, okay. I did like it at the time. Whether I like it now is another issue. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. But Suits suits was a mixed bag for me. Just very lots of, yeah, lots of average rock songs on there. Oh... Anyway, we'll leave it there for this week. Yes, uh, I okay. promise you, everyone, we will get around to marbles. Um, Eventually. Ho- hopefully before now, before it's dark. But this felt like an important thing to do to take stock of at this at point. This, at this point, yes, yeah. in where we are in the timeline. Yeah. So we might do a post bag uh, in the coming weeks. You can message us about anything Meridian or fish related, beampod at gmail.com. Our patrons can listen to the original version of this episode, which was probably a bit better, wasn't it? Let's be honest. I can't. I can't tell. <laughs> I just. I feel like I've said a lot of dumb things in this version, not which dumb. I'm hoping you. I'm just, really hoping you cut out. They just might get us dynamite. Yeah, them. exactly. That's why I'm hoping you listen out for them when I'll you're listen editing. Out, I'll listen out for the worst ones and and chop them out. Um, so yeah, our patrons, if you want to support us on Patreon, uh, www.patreon.com slash Mr. Biffo. Uh, all the links to all the stuff is in the, in the description. We even sold, I think, a t-shirt or two over Christmas, which was oh, nice. no, lovely. Lovely. Uh, right, okay, let's go. I'm going to go and edit this now. All right, good luck. Let's uh, hope that Let's it, hope it's let's recorded. Hope, yeah, let's Wish hope Wish us luck, everyone. Good sound on it. We'll be back next week with part two of this chronological trawl through fish's life and career all right bye bye